Well, good morning. It is good to meet together in this way and be able to open up God's Word together. And uh, this morning we are continuing in our series in Matthew. Last week we were in chapter 12 and uh, continuing now into chapter 13. And we're in what's normally referred to as the third discourse or the third teaching of Jesus uh, in the book of Matthew. There's roughly five sections where Jesus pauses uh, or Matthew pauses his narrative of Jesus' um, ministry and miracles, and Jesus enters into an extended period of teaching. It's not a perfect division. Jesus continues to teach during his ministry, uh, but you'll see these sort of five uh, periods of concentrated teaching. And last week we saw that in this section of teaching, Jesus was uh, confronting both those who were listening and following him and those who were opposing him with the reality of the kingdom and its inbreaking into the world, and that he was leaving no middle ground, that there were two kingdoms, two powers, two natures, which result in two fruit and two outcomes. And you have to choose an allegiance between either of the two kingdoms and the two powers. One or the other will be controlling your life, will be at the center of your heart. And so he says, you're either for me or against me and you have to choose. And he's going to continue now in that teaching uh, in the same vein, because the knowledge that there are two kingdoms or that there are two powers and we need to choose an allegiance to one uh, is good to know, but we need to know how this happens. The, the knowledge of it doesn't do us any good unless we know how. How do we get the new nature? How do we receive the new power? How is the kingdom of God breaking into the world? And so Jesus now uh, in the second part of this teaching section in chapter 13, uh, goes into seven parables, and all seven parables describe the kingdom of God and describe how it is breaking into the world and how, even more importantly, how the kingdom of God is taking its place in the human heart. And this is what we need to know. And he's going to do this, first of all, with probably the best-known parable and maybe the most important parable, um, and it's an agricultural parable, the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils. And uh, he's again going to, in this parable, use the means or the teaching method of contrast. He's going to contrast examples of failure and success of the new kingdom taking hold and creating a new nature in a person's heart. And um, so as we open up Matthew 13, and as we consider the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils, um, just uh, let's pray before we begin and uh, open up God's Word and ask that the Holy Spirit would cultivate our hearts and make them ready for new growth uh, in the way that's described even in this parable. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is rich and profitable for us to meditate upon it. We thank you that your Holy Spirit gives us uh, wisdom and light to be able to understand it. And I ask even now that as we open up your word, uh, it will illuminate our own hearts and reveal to us uh, the work of your kingdom and your word in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9, and then I'm going to also cover uh, momentarily, verses 18 to 23. So if you want to follow along on the screen, 
uh, or tap there on your phones or turn there in your Bibles. Uh, Those will be the text that we read today. Starting at verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them, saying many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them, and other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil, and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So as we look at this parable, there's three main elements to it. There's a sower, there's seed, and there's soils. And before we try to draw any application from it, we need to know what these things are and where we fall into the parable. What part of the parable is Jesus expecting us to identify with? Now, Jesus very helpfully includes us in the discussion that follows with his disciples. So I'll let Jesus explain his own parable, and then we'll look at two applications from it. And as I read this through, uh, before we get to the application, be thinking about where you fit into the parable. This is God's word, and it speaks to our hearts, and you will very likely feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And all I'm saying is, is just listen to the Holy Spirit as he shows you where you fit into this parable. Listen to the conviction of your heart. So this is Jesus' explanation. And remember, this is telling us how the kingdom and how the word of God, and how the power comes into the world. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, how does this explain how the kingdom of God is breaking into the world and how does it and, and how it's either revealing or transforming the nature of those who encounter it? How does it explain what is taking place in our own heart and describe where we fit into the process? So there are two sides of this parable or two sides of the gospel or the word of the kingdom transaction. There's the sower on the one hand casting the seed and the soil on the other hand receiving the seed and the seed is in the middle, so to speak. And so when we approach this parable, we can read it either as the sower or as the soil. We are one of the two. We are not the seed. So I'm going to first go through the parable as if we are the sower. That is, the lesson here is for us as believers, for us as the church. We are casting the seed, or we are sharing the word of the kingdom. We are sharing the gospel. 
And there's, I think, three things that we need to see from the perspective of the sower. First of all, the sower himself. The sower, we need to understand, doesn't influence the growth. The parable is not expounding on the expertise of the sower. It doesn't take a talented sower for a seed to germinate and grow. Anyone can throw seed. It's the seed and the soil that affect the growth. If you look at this parable in Mark chapter 4, where it's retold, it's spoken this way. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. So Jesus makes it explicit here that it's God's gospel and it's God's spirit that causes growth. So it's not about the sower causing growth. The way the kingdom works here is that it's our job as speakers of the gospel, as sharers of the word of the kingdom, to just sow the right seed, to just speak the gospel, give an account for the hope that is within us, and then God will determine where it falls and if it grows. That's the first thing. That explains us as the sower. Secondly, we have the seed in relation to the sower. The seed is always the same. It doesn't change. Everyone receives the same seed. The parable doesn't say, and sometimes the sower threw good seed, and other times the sower threw bad seed. In this parable, the seed is always the same. It's the gospel, or as Jesus says in verse 19, it is the word of the kingdom. Jesus says the seed, or the word of God, is the confidence of heaven. The word of God is powerful and effective. Jesus says that the word of God has the power to bring the kingdom of God to people's hearts, to effect the change to the new nature. Isaiah 55:11 says it this way. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says, "So shall my word be that that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it." And so we have to understand the confidence that we need to have in the word of God, in the Bible, in scripture, in the gospel, in the good news that Jesus has transferred to us through words. Let's just notice that the kingdom comes near at hand. The power of God presses in. The opportunity for new life and a new nature in Christ comes by the word of God. And I'm a preacher and I'm a little biased, but let's be clear. God has chosen words to be the means of reconciliation and salvation of mankind. I was reading a book uh, by an inner city pastor, Mez McConnell, and he says, I'm paraphrasing in this book, um, Essentially, that you can give soup to a thousand people, or you can clean graffiti off a hundred walls, and the people you serve will never know that Jesus died for their sins. And so we need to make sure that as we share the gospel, we do use words. There is no mistake that words are the way in which the gospel is intended to be shared. Words are the way in which the kingdom is breaking into this world. Words are the way in which we receive the new nature in Christ Jesus by the Spirit. So then, let's make sure that when we are sowing the seed, that it is the good seed. Can we articulate clearly the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the promise held out to the world that God desires reconciliation and has made a way for us to be reconciled to him through Jesus? If we are looking at this parable from the position of being the sower, are we able to sow the good seed? Are we able to explain it? 
Can we explain it accurately? Because there are people out there who are sowing bad seed, who are sowing false gospels. They're sowing false gospels that convince people that God will fill their bank account or fix everything in their life. Or they're sowing powerless gospels that assure people that they are really okay just the way they are and they don't need a new nature and a new identity in Christ. Or they're sowing deceitful gospels that tell people that God just wants them to follow their dreams and to self-actualize. That if people just understood how great they are as a person, then God would be pleased with them. Those are not the gospel. The seed of the gospel is still the same. The gospel doesn't change over time because the need of humanity doesn't change over time. The world is not as God intended it. Your greatest sin is not that you don't believe in yourself enough. Our sin is that of rebellion. It's the sin of serving our own desires, of telling God that we know better than him how to run our life and that we will do things our way and get what we want. Because of that, the gospel that people need is the good news of a God who loves rebels. The good news of forgiveness, of humility, of hope and new life in Christ. That gospel never changes. And that comes through repentance of sins, trusting in God's promise and treasuring Jesus Christ. That is the gospel that we sow. Thirdly, we see the relationship of the sower to the soils. And I'll break down all the individual types of soil in the next application. But for now, I just want us to look at the sower's relationship to these soils. First of all, when we look at all four types of soil, we notice that we sow on all types. In this, we see more glimpses of the outrageous grace of God. His good gospel is offered to all soils every time. This means that we, as the sowers, don't discriminate who hears the gospel or who, who receives the mercy that should accompany it. We sow the gospel everywhere, and we sow generously. We sow on hard ground, we sow on stony ground and weedy ground. It's not up to us to decide where the gospel falls. We don't begrudge the seed of the gospel to anyone. So we want to be generous in our sowing. There's far too many of us who hold on to one seed, to one witness of the gospel for most of our life thinking, I wonder where I'm going to plant this one testimony this one seed that I have of the gospel. I got to find the right person or the right soil to plant it so that it'll be successful. That's not how Jesus paints the picture of how we sow. The picture Jesus paints here is that you have a bag of seed. There are tens of thousands of seeds in there. There are tens of thousands of opportunities to sow the gospel. So start throwing. But so often we carry around our little gospel seed waiting for the perfect heart to plant it in. We tell our story once to one person, just one seed a year, or maybe one seed every few years. Or maybe we just have one seed planted in all of our relationships, in our whole workplace, and in our whole family. And then we hope that our one seed takes root, and we get discouraged when it doesn't. But that isn't how the gospel goes out. It goes out handful after handful. Handful. It is cast broadly, or it is literally broadcast. And then fourthly, we can look at the sowing itself in relation to the sower. We need to be generous in our sowing. If you think of someone like Billy Graham, he broadcasted literally the gospel as wide as anyone before in history. And don't think that just because you can't sow like Billy did that you don't need to. Billy Graham sowed to tens of millions of people. 
But do you know who Billy Graham didn't sow to? Out of all those tens of millions of people, Billy Graham did not sow the gospel to the hundred or so people that you know personally in your life. You know a hundred people, probably, that never heard the gospel from Billy Graham. They may have heard of him, but they've never heard the gospel from him. So as widely as someone like Billy Graham sows, you need to sow where he hasn't sown. You can't sit back and expect other people to sow your field. Or let's think a lot smaller. Not Billy Graham, but Paul Graham, or whoever your local pastor is. Don't think that just because you don't have a church or a platform to preach from that you can't sow generously. There are a hundred people that you know in this community that have never sat in Lakeside Church or have never viewed our live stream on Facebook. They've never heard the gospel from me or from any other pastor. You need to be generous in your sowing of the hope that you have within you, your sowing of the word of the kingdom, your sowing of the gospel of reconciliation, because everyone needs to hear and you have a field of your own. And be generous because people change. Soils don't stay the same. People change. You changed. I changed. There was a time when our hearts were hard or our hearts were shallow. And we didn't want to hear the word of God or the word of God didn't take root in our heart. And then one day it did because the Holy Spirit is at work changing the soil of our hearts. Finally, we let God weed out the sin and the bitterness and the resentfulness and the pride and the idolatry in our hearts and the gospel found good soil. The soil of our hearts changed and so does the soil of other people's hearts. And so we have to keep sowing generously the gospel, not knowing exactly when that seed will take root. So every season, just like a farmer, we sow the gospel again. Maybe it will be the third season or the fifth or the eleventh season. God may use our sowing in a person's heart at any time and we don't know when that will be. And this is one of the reasons that we sow on all soils. We don't know when one soil may become another by the hearing of the gospel. So if you already have the gospel, if you already have the bag of seeds on your hip and you know the good news of the reconciliation that God desires, of the new nature that he wants to put in people's hearts, then this parable is for you to see how the kingdom works and what you are called to do in broadcasting that seed, in sharing that gospel. In this parable, you may be the sower. You are the sower if you have the gospel and the word of God and you need to sow it. That's the application to the sowers. That's people sharing the gospel. Now we want to look at the parable in terms of the application to the people who are hearing the gospel, to the soils. The first three soils we see the dangerous predicament we can find ourselves in when we don't accept the generous grace of God, when we resist the Spirit calling us, as Jesus was referring to in his earlier teaching. The reality is this parable in relation to the soils is taking place right now as I speak. This parable takes place in some form every Sunday and every time we share the gospel and share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The seed of the gospel is going out, it is being spread, it is being broadcast, and it is landing on hearts right now. What sort of hearts is it landing on? Where is your heart at today? There are three bad soils, and to parallel those three bad soils, there are three good soils. So first of all, let's look at the three hard or difficult soils. The first one is the path or the hard soil. 
You may hear this message today and your heart is still hard. In other words, nothing penetrates. You have seen other people in need of hope or truth or grace receive it. You have seen other people's lives changed. You know people that you trust who can attest to the goodness of God and can verify the change that he brings in their life, but you yourself don't feel it. Whenever you think of God, there is only anger or rebellion or just nothing. Nothing in the word of God resonates with you. It just doesn't sound like truth. It doesn't sound like wisdom. It makes no sense to you, and so you completely ignore it. In other words, it is just snatched away without a second thought. And that's dangerous ground. Jesus says that's a spiritual battle. Jesus says here that that is Satan doing that. That is the kingdom of darkness. There is a battle between two kingdoms, as we learned last week. This spiritual battle is taking place, and Jesus says it is Satan who is snatching away the seed. Listen, whatever has brought you to this point in your life is not your friend. Whatever circumstances or worldviews or books that you have been reading, whatever friends or ideologies that have convinced you that God is neither either not there or that God is useless, Those things are not for you, but they are against you. The best thing you could do for your heart is to pray to God to soften it and to set those worldviews and those ideologies and those friendships aside. Your heart does not need to stay hard forever. Almost every Christian's heart was hard like that at one point, but God softens hearts of stones and makes them hearts of flesh able to receive the word. The second kind of soil is rocky or shallow soil. And this relates to persecution. He says that this heart receives immediately the gospel with joy, and yet he has no root in himself. The shallow soil is where it sprang up, but it had no root, so it withered. And maybe this describes your past relationship with God. You heard about Jesus, you had a pastor or a mentor or a camp counselor show you your need to repent, to follow Christ, to transform, and and you received it. You wanted freedom from guilt. You wanted to please God. You wanted that community that you saw these other Christians had. You wanted the joy that they had within their heart. But after camp was over, after the guilt was lifted, you just sort of ran out of steam. It was exciting for a while. It was good to be part of that community. You seemed to have the same thing that everybody else had. But after you left that place, after time went on, it began to cost you to follow Jesus you realize that it meant sideways glances from your family. It meant losing some of your friends. There came external pressures and persecutions. And in other words, the hot sun came out and your shallow faith that was never really rooted in loving God, but actually just loving how God made you feel, caused your faith to wither. You never really dug into the word of God to know God personally. You just loved the experience of God. You just loved the stuff that it seemed God was able to give you. It's not really a deep relationship when you don't actually love a person. You just love their stuff. And sometimes we start out in our faith that way, not really knowing God and therefore not really able to love God, but just loving his stuff, loving how he makes us feel, loving the community that he puts around us, loving the help that he offers through his church or through his people. And if our heart stays there, it will easily be uprooted. And that may be the way that God calls you into knowledge of him, but that's not where God expects you to stay. God wants you to know who he is. 
Our hearts don't have to stay shallow. Soil changes. You can start putting down roots. You can start drinking at the fountain of God's word. You can discover that God is a God who speaks and who wants you to know him. Are there mysteries about God? Yes. Is there more of God than you can learn in a lifetime? Yes, in a thousand lifetimes. But God has made himself known to you so that you can know him and love him, not just love the stuff that he gives you. You can anchor yourself again to God's people. There is good soil that you can put yourself down into and renew that shallow faith and restart or restore your relationship in God. But you must get to know God and you do so by his word. So get rooted deeply in his word or wilt. Thirdly, we have the thorny or weedy soil. That's the world, the riches and the distraction or the cares of the world. It says that the gospel is sown on some hearts among thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, this one resonates with us in North America, certainly, and it resonates with us at this particular time in North America, in fact, around the world. The cares of the world. Yes, maybe you heard about Jesus, you put your faith in him, you trusted in him, but then the reality hits. You have exams to finish, you have a job to find, you have four kids at home that you have to homeschool, you have bills to pay, you have a career, and right now, coronavirus is a major distraction. I'm worried about going out. I'm afraid of spreading the virus to someone else. I'm afraid of catching the virus. Everything seems to take so much more energy lately. I have too many cares of my own to put anything more into God's kingdom. So this is the one, Jesus warns, who hears the word, begins to grow, trusts in Jesus, but then everything else seems just as important, or sometimes even more important. This is divided loyalties. This is about giving too much attention to the cares of the world when Jesus has given us opportunity to care for the kingdom and to care about God. Or it's just plain money and stuff. Maybe you just bought a new house and that's okay. It's not bad to have a new house. Until then you spend all your time fixing up this new house and all your money furnishing this house. And then you need to do landscaping and then it would be nice if the driveway was paved. And all those things are okay on their own unless Instead of you owning the house, it starts to feel like the house owns you. And maybe the boat owns you, and the cottage needs its attention too. And all of a sudden, you realize you're spending all of your time polishing your idols instead of serving God. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Riches seem to offer you happiness. They seem to offer you joy. They seem to offer you freedom. And then riches end up owning you, and you spend your time serving them. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. When the seed is sown on this kind of soil, or when our hearts start to take on these kinds of thorns, we don't treasure Jesus above everything else. Everything else, in fact, becomes a competition for our affection, and we are gladly distracted or wooed away from loving Jesus ahead of everything else? Are the distractions of the world taking you away from the word of God, from service of God's kingdom? Are you so concerned about coronavirus or about what's going on in your life and how you're going to care for yourself 
which isn't necessarily bad, just like riches. But are those concerns replacing concern for the kingdom? Are those concerns replacing concern for serving God and being deep in his word? Or do you chase after riches and pleasures more than the hope that you have in Christ? It doesn't have to stay that way. If your heart is feeling weedy, if it feels like those thorns are growing up and the world is competing for your attention, you can change. Your heart can become good soil. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. The writer says, let's lay those things aside. Let's put those encumbrances to one side. And let's leave the sin of idolatry that entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So those are three kinds of bad soils. Those are three kinds of hard or stony or distracted hearts that the gospel can land on. But then there's the good soil. The good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. Or even more accurately, Jesus says there's actually three kinds of good soil. So you can look at this as either, you know, one good soil, which is reflected in, you know, three different kinds, or three good soils versus the three bad soils. It's not too important as to how you read the parable. But what we see here is that the good soil says it yields 160 or 30 times a crop. It's fruitful. That is the key difference between the three bad soils and the good soil is that they yield a crop. They're not barren, and they're not withered, and they're not choked in weeds. Now, it doesn't mean that the good soil doesn't have any rocks, or it doesn't have any weeds at all, but it says the rocks and the weeds don't win. The soil ends up bearing a crop. They're bearing fruit. So typically, farmers today sow about one or one and a half bushels of wheat seed per acre. And Jesus says here that from this sowing comes a crop of 30 times or 60 times or 100 times. Those are pretty good numbers. If you sowed one and a half bushel and you got 30 times back, that's 45 bushel of wheat to the acre. That's not far off a modern average of about 60. 30 to 40 bushels may have been the average in ancient times. But if you got 60 times, that's 90 bushels to the acre. That is a bumper crop. That's about the highest yield I have ever heard my own dad mention in decades of farming. It's almost unachievable except in perfect situations. And then Jesus says it could even be a hundred times. It could be a hundred and fifty bushels to the acre. Now, of course, the exact numbers are not what's important. That's not the point. Jesus is just saying that the person who hears the gospel and nurtures it and grows it and receives it will bear a crop, a bumper crop or a super crop of fruit in their life. So then the question comes, what is fruit? Well, fruit in the Christian life, fruit in terms of people inheriting the new nature, and gaining the power of the new kingdom that Jesus promises, it could be a few things. Colossians 1 and Galatians 5 talk about fruit being good works and our increase in godly character, the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, and all of those things, and we certainly need to bear fruit in that regard. We are meant to be sanctified, meant to be transformed, to be made more like Christ, to take on that new nature that Jesus just finished talking about in chapter 12, to bear good fruit. It could be praise and worship. Hebrews 13 says the fruit of our lips is worship to God. So that could be the fruit that we bear. But the reality is we will be perfectly sanctified when we get to heaven. We will have all of the fruit of the Spirit in perfection in heaven. And we will praise God perfectly for eternity when we get to heaven. 
What is the only fruit in this world that we can't bear in heaven? And the answer is new believers. There won't be any new converts in heaven. The fruit we bear on earth comes from the gospel. Scripture most often refers to fruit as new believers. In Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 16, Paul talks about bearing fruit in those cities. In Philippians 4, Paul says that as we give to ministry and as we give to missions, the fruit that ministry bears is new converts and it is to our credit. So Jesus is talking about gospel fruitfulness that we should see in Christian lives, some 30, 60, and some 100 times. A normal crop, a bumper crop, a super crop. Isn't it good that Jesus says we don't have to compare ourselves? That it's all good soil, whatever fruit we bear. That there will be those who bear a hundred times and those that bear 30 times, but they're all good soil. So that's the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils. We've seen it from the perspective of the sower in how we broadcast the seed and how we shed the good seed and that the seed remains the same and how it's the responsibility not of the sower in the expertise of our sowing or in the earnestness of our sowing to cause the growth but that God causes the growth and we've seen it from the side of the soils which soil are we as the gospel as the word of God goes out it lands on people's hearts this is how Jesus is explaining that the kingdom and the power and the new nature comes it comes through the word of God and it lands on people's hearts This is how it's breaking into the world. This is how it's reaching your heart specifically. Is your heart hard? Is your heart stony? Is your heart weedy? Or is it good soil? The hearts that have received the gospel, we don't all yield exactly the same crop, but we are all meant to be fruitful. When the gospel seed is planted in our hearts, Jesus says that seed multiplies and it bears fruit, and it bears fruit by the sharing of the word again. You know what happens? to a portion of the wheat harvest after it ripens, it circles right back around again and it's seed again to be scattered. And that's true of the fruit in our fields. As our fruit ripens, some of it cycles right back around again to be seed and we are meant to be rebroadcasting it. And that's the picture Jesus has for us this morning if we know the gospel and we can be sowers of it. But he also has a word here for our hearts, that they not be stony, that they not be weedy, that they not be hardened against him. He says, he or she who has ears to hear, let them hear. This is how the gospel works. This is how the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ lands on us. The gospel doesn't change. The sower has no duty other than to be generous in sowing. It's our hearts that must respond. And so the question Jesus may be asking is, where is your heart at this morning? How are you responding to the word of God as it comes to you? The gospel is one of reconciliation. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that he should die for the world, that he would reconcile man to God. That good news is yours to receive, the new nature to bear good fruit and to be part of his kingdom. How will you respond to the gospel today? Let's pray. Father God, we just give you thanks for your word. We ask that it would find root in our hearts and that as it bears fruit, we would sow it to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.